Congress has decided to start resuming the use of earmarks. They used to be known as pork or pork barrel spending. The reason it was known by those names is that it involves spending taxpayer money on small, low-priority projects that only mattered to one politician. So why was it used in the first place? Why was it eliminated? And why has it made a comeback? And if you could vote on this policy to resume using earmarks, would you vote for it or against it? If you're new to my content, One Direct Democracy is a movement for upgrading the global democratic system by taking power away from politicians and putting it in the hands of the people with direct democracy. It'll also eliminate left and right wing politics. I've created the technology and a specific plan for how to make it work. If you want more information, check out the links in the description. For each episode, I'll pick an important issue, outline the problem, talk about the potential solutions, and you can decide how you would vote. In this video, we'll talk about whether the use of earmarks should be allowed in Congress. Okay, if you're just looking for another talking head that isn't interested in actually doing anything, you're in the wrong place. If you want to be part of the solution, let's get into it. Earmarks have been around since the first Congress in 1789, and there's a lot for politicians to love about them. Winning over a congressperson that you want to vote for your bill can be as simple as including a little something for a project they care about. But earmarks gained a reputation for being corrupt. They were banned in 2011, after a few members of Congress went to jail for misusing them in the 2000s. But after 10 long years with few ways to fund our lobster live cams, Congress has brought earmarks back. And some experts are thinking that's a good thing. Earmarks are now known as member-directed spending. So what does that mean? According to this article from CNN, member-directed spending is just a fancy name for earmarks, a system by which federal spending in a certain district or state can be appended to legislation as a sweetener for the members of Congress representing those areas. Earmarks had long been part of the legislative process as a way to grease the wheel of bill passing. So how did it grease the wheel of bill passing? In simple terms, if a politician didn't want to support a particular bill, they could be convinced to change their minds by including some additional funding for some small project in their jurisdiction. How and when did this start to change? But beginning in earnest with Arizona Senator John McCain's 2008 campaign for president, earmarking began to be regarded as a bad thing. McCain was a long-time opponent of earmarks, known derisively as pork to Beltway insiders, and would regularly call out what he believed to be over-the-top pet projects inserted into bills by lawmakers. McCain made a big deal out of this during his run for president. That's when people outside of politics became aware of it, and they didn't like it. Although McCain lost that race, former House Speaker John Boehner, himself a long-time opponent to so-called pork barrel spending, saw his chance. As part of Republicans' 2010 campaign for Congress, Boehner targeted the elimination of earmarks as a way to signal to the average voter that it was time to change the way Washington did business. When Republicans took the House majority in that election, Boehner did exactly what he promised. He got rid of earmarks entirely. This made sense in concept. Congress's approval rating at the time was approximately 10%, and this was a way to do something that increased the confidence that people had in Congress. It seemed at the time like a smart political move. People were sick and tired of the insider game played by those in Washington. The massive earmarking scandal involving California Rep. Randy Duke Cunningham had been national news earlier in the decade, and banning these pet projects seemed like a way to get corruption, or the appearance of corruption, out of politics. Of course, what's good for the people may not be good for politicians. What happened in practice was that the leaders in both parties lost leverage over their rank-and-file members. They no longer had a carrot to dangle in front of wavering members 
to get them to sign onto a piece of legislation where the vote was tight. So to be clear about this, a lot of politicians decided not to vote in favour of important bills that were good for the country unless there was something in it for them. The loss of leverage was compounded by the rise of third-party groups, led by super PACs, over the past decade. Their ascension signalled a diminution in the power of political parties. No longer could party leaders, overseeing campaign committees, bend members to their will by offering or withholding support. So if one of the major parties created a big, important bill that was important for the country, they had lost their ability to incentivize all of their members to actually vote for it. And those two factors together, and you get developments like the rise of the House Freedom Caucus, a rump group that has no loyalty to or fear of party leaders. Over the last decade, it's the extremes, like those represented by the Freedom Caucus, who increasingly have influence in Congress. So now instead of party leaders controlling the party, you now have these internal, artificial caucuses running around doing their own thing. The simple fact is that without earmarks in the modern political climate, congressional leadership has no tools to cajole and convince lawmakers to be for anything. The default position has therefore been no. Obstruction on everything has been the order of the day. Okay, so what will be different about earmarks 2.0? The new and hopefully improved earmarks are returning with new and hopefully improved rules to make them more transparent and to avoid a repeat of the whole, you know, jail thing. The likelihood of this happening is uh, much, much lower now. Uh, And all that information is online about who's requesting which earmarks at what point in the process. There's now a hard limit on earmarks making up only 1% of a spending bill. And, bad news for big donors hoping for a little mutual back-scratching, who can get them is limited too. This time around, they said... No for-profits are going to get earmarks. So that means that you're mostly going to be focused on not-for-profit education and other not-for-profit institutions in somebody's community. Okay, this is my personal opinion on this issue. There are two problems with earmarks. The first is that it creates a lot of confusion about whether to vote for a bill about one major issue when spending for multiple related issues has been bolted onto it for no reason other than to fund the pet project of a member of Congress. The second problem is that every member of Congress knows that they can use earmarks to hold their party or the entire Congress to ransom by simply saying that they will only vote in favour of a bill that happens to be important for the entire country if they get some small amount of funding for some small issue that matters to them. So is this reasonable negotiation or is it legalised extortion? The problem here is the democratic system, and specifically the use of representative democracy. None of this would be happening if we were using direct democracy. I've created a listing on the One Direct Democracy platform so that we can develop ideas about how we can improve the rules for the use of earmarks. You can add your own ideas or vote and comment on ideas from other people. You can also create your own listings for people to vote on. It's a simple way to get used to using the One Direct Democracy system. The links are in the description. So that's a summary of the key issues. If you could vote directly on this policy to resume the use of earmarks, would you vote for it or against it? Let me know in the comments. The reality is that we've reached a point in time in our revolution where representative democracy no longer serves the will of the people. That's why I created One Direct Democracy. It's a movement for upgrading the global democratic system by taking power away from the politicians and putting it in the hands of the people with direct democracy. 
I've created the technology, a framework for direct democracy, and a plan for how to make it happen. And we don't have to convince any politicians or powerful people to do anything to make it happen. We have the power to do it on our own, we just have to make a decision to do it. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, or you want more information about me, or One Direct Democracy, check out the other videos on my channel, and the links in the description. Direct Democracy is the purest form of democracy. Representative Democracy is an outdated, blunt instrument.